0: Hello, welcome to Talking Logistics, where we have conversations with thought leaders and news makers in supply chain logistics industry. It's my great pleasure to welcome back to the program, Ty Bordner, who's Senior VP of Marketing and Business Development at Amber Road. And today we're gonna talk about from purchase order to last customs mile, streamlining and automating the global supply chain. So you've got words like risk, complexity, uncertainty, uh, you know, dynamic. I mean, these are all terms that are used to describe the global supply chain, and it's certainly truer today than, than ever before. So the question is, you know, how can companies successfully navigate, you know, through this environment? You know, what actions can they take to streamline and automate the global trade processes, and how can technology help? Well, those are the main questions we're going to discuss in today's episode, and uh, it's great to have Ty, you know, back in the program to share his insights and perspective and, and advice on this topic. So uh, Ty, welcome back.
1: Thanks Adrian, it's great to be here, appreciate it.
0: So Ty, uh, you you know, like I just said, you know, it seems like global supply chain management becomes riskier and and more complex, you know, every year. And, you know, even as we speak here, you know, for example, there's still a lot of uncertainty with regards to, you know, Brexit and what may or may not happen in the days and and weeks ahead. And, you know, there's still a lot of uncertainty around, you know, the the US and China relations and, and what's happening there. I mean, overall, I mean, what kind of uh, challenges are these trends creating from, for companies?
1: Well, I think, yeah, that, that you know, uh, it's been a crazy, crazy year or, or a couple of years uh, with all these changes. You mentioned a couple of them, you know, Brexit and, you know, then, then you've also got the tariffs and, uh, you know, you got USMCA, which is another uh, big sort of still unknown. Uh, we don't quite know when, uh, if 100% or when that'll get ratified. You know, but you know, there's, there's like other things too. Like uh, you know, people talk about the China tariffs, but what people don't realize, because it's not in the news, it's not in the headlines, is China is revamping all of their regulations, right? China is adding export regulations uh, to basically sort of, I would say, come up to speed with the rest of the uh, of the sort of Wassenauer countries. Um, and you know, that doesn't get headlines. Nobody knows that. But you know, if you're if you're you know a multinational company and you got factories and plants in China and you're going to export your goods back out of there well you know you're gonna to have to deal with these things so but to your point all of these things all of these changes the unknowns I think I think what 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 people look at look at it is well I need to be agile and nimble I need to have the ability to react whichever fork in the road you know the, the stuff takes right you know, tariffs you know are there then tariffs may go away and you know who knows what's going to happen so how do I plan for that? How do I execute against that? You know, I got to have, really, I think it it does call out for technology. You got to, the only way to effectively do this is to have a system that um, can be, you know, the digital twin of the real world. And that digital twin is going to take, again, whichever fork in the road, you know, happens and you got to be able to react. So I think that, I think that's the key, that uncertainty, the, you know, and the ability to react to it is what, what people are looking for.
0: Yeah, great point. And that point about China kind of, you know, ties into my my next question. I mean, you read, you know, about import and import statistics and trade publications, whether it's, you know, the trade deficit or you read about how many imports came in through Long Beach and so forth. But unless you're in the front lines, you know, managing import and export transactions, you really don't realize how much data is involved and how much, you know, some of these new regulations or, or existing regulations, you know, you know what's involved in truly being compliance with them and gathering all the information that's that's required and so forth to, to really make this whole engine you know work. Um, you know when when you look across you know companies and, and particularly your customers and so forth. I mean, what what separates the leaders from the laggards and how they gather and process data? You know the data required to execute import and export transactions.
1: Yeah. Well, first I'll say that uh, you are absolutely right that people do not realize, uh, unless you're in the trenches, you do not realize what it is and what it takes to satisfy the requirements of moving goods across borders, right? So, you know, you start with that PO and executing the PO to a place halfway around the world that speaks a different language and all the amendments that occur against the PO and how do you manage that? And you know, and, you know, then you're going to, then you're going to want to connect the shipments that come together against that PO. They're going to move. You got to book them. You want to track them. You want to understand where things are and where things are. And again, you want to connect this back to your PO. You want to understand from a supply chain practitioner's perspective, you know, all of these things. And you start to, the complexity starts starts to build. You're talking about you know uh, vendor bookings and factory shipments and consolidation centers and bringing these things together on, a, on on a bill of lading and a master bill and a house bill and you've got export documentation and licenses you might have to deal with with the government the exporting government and then again you got to book those things you want to make you want to make an efficient booking you want to do things you know to, to meet your company's goals whether it be speed and time and transit or cost uh, and then you've got to clear the goods on the import side Right. So now you've got to get all that product data together, all of the information together. And, um, you know, a lot of this today is, is, is manual. Um, people are not digitizing this part of the supply chain. Um, so so again, I'll go back to your, your question. It's a it's it's a broad spectrum. I think people in the in the trenches certainly have to understand it and do this. But they may be in silos. This may not be one group inside a company that deals with with everything. It could be, you know the, the, uh, you know, the sourcing team or the logistics team or maybe called supply chain. And maybe there's a trade compliance group or division that's supporting some of this activity. So, you know, it's difficult. It's difficult. And then if you go up the chain to the C-suite, I mean, they, they, you know, often they just don't know. Now, maybe in the last year or two, some of this stuff is getting a little bit more visibility because of what's going on with some of the things we talked about earlier. So, you know, some of that visibility could be happening. Uh, I think we, we see that uh, within Amber Road, that people are starting to recognize, hey, how do I deal with these things, and is there a, is there a better way to do it? You know, as, as companies, it really depends on, you know, a lot depends on the company's volumes. I mean, if you've got a sort of a high-volume business where you're moving a lot of transactions, orders, shipments, et cetera, customs entries, then, then you know, then you may want to gather the data and put it into a digital platform to be able to execute, because the more transactions you have, and the more that you can automate, the more payback you're going to have. If you've got low volumes, you may not look to automate as much because there isn't there is a cost to automate some of this stuff. But you may still want to have a system that captures the data digitally so that you can analyze it and also maybe communicate it and send it to and from your partners, like your brokers, your carriers, your forwarders. So um, it's a spectrum, and it's you know there isn't necessarily one one solution fits all companies. But um, but there's a lot of opportunity out there to be able to to be able to take what people are doing on paper today and digitize that. And there's just so much value there in terms of cost savings, back to agility, being agile and flexible, and um, and, uh, and and also reducing risk. Right, risk in the supply chain, not just not just compliance risk, but risk in you know being able to ride over things that happen to you, so you you can execute and still move your goods as you need to.
0: Right you know so so I find the same thing. I mean, I think you know at the one end of the spectrum is is people are doing this completely manual, right so they're just throwing labor at this and it's just very you know costly and, and inefficient, and it's hard to be agile when everything has to be typed in and everything's in, you know paper based and, and so forth. But even those that are digitized to your point, I mean, a lot of this data resides in many different systems and across many different you know trading partners, perhaps. You know, so, so part of the next step would be, you know, well, obviously digitizing, but then the next step is, you know, bringing all this together to have that one, you know, uh, version of the truth, if, if you will, or, or a way to kind of uh, uh, facilitate, you know, the bringing of all this data from, from, di- from different sources, even when it once is digital, right? So part, part of digital is getting it digitized is one thing, but then bringing, being able to aggregate it in a quick and efficient and in a normalized way, being able to link a purchase order to a bill of lading, to a, an entry form, you know, that's part of the, the secret sauce, right? That, that I would think that the leaders are kind of there, if you will, working towards that.
1: Yeah, you're, you're, you're right on. I, I, I like to classify it into three major sort of uh, life cycle phases, okay? And the majority of folks today are in phase one. And phase one is I let my I – hire, I hire experts. I hire Customs brokers and freight forwarders to do this work for me and I try to give them as much info as I can But you know what's going to happen is they're going to need information to clear customs You know whether it be on the export or on the import side largely the imports a lot larger in that respect in terms of complexity and They're going to call me up and ask me questions when they need to ask me questions typically when the goods are there at the port clearing hey, uh, I need information about this to know what the harmonized number is of this because I don't have it you know, in my system, so can you help me? And that takes time and could take days and you know, customs holds up the goods movement, so, but that's, that's phase one. Sort of that, that's, and, and again, I'll just reiterate, that's where it is today. That's, that's, that's the majority of what's happening today. Phase two is digitizing data, so getting all the attributes about your product records that are gonna be needed. For cross-border movement not just one country but for all the countries these goods are going to move across right so having that digitized uh, perhaps then sharing that digital information with my partners with the the brokers and the forwarders so that I can start to leverage that that capability and uh, you know I'm still not at the point where I'm automating the creation of the transaction which is what I'll get to in phase three but um, I'm starting to gain some efficiencies here. I don't have to redo things over and over. If I'm bringing a, a good in every week, right, and the broker asks me you know, the same questions every week for that good, well, there, there's, there's value lost, right? There's, there's extra redundant work. So I want to reduce that. And then phase three, which is which is where everybody's going and everybody's trying to get to, and it's it's uh, obviously not a simple thing, but this is, what, this is what, certainly what Amber Road is doing, is automating the buildup. Of that transaction so being able to take that digital representation of product data the digital representation of partner data you know your partners that you're going to need information which includes your suppliers and then having the transactional records which are coming into the system digitally so that could be things like a purchase order could be a sales order could be a bill of lading a packing list a commercial invoice an ASN so these transactions exist out there in the world in some digital form So those transactions come into the system, and the system is smart enough to know how to then pull in the master data to build out the completed cross-border transaction, right? And that's phase three, and that is where the value lies, right? That is where we, uh, I mean, just start to do do the, you know, start, how many transactions are you dealing with, and if it takes me X amount of people and X amount of communication and forwarder bro- time and broker time and you're paying all these folks a lot of money to do this and now you can have a software system that does the bulk of that work maybe not everything but the bulk of that work you know you can start to understand that you can reap, reap, reap huge benefits um, the, la- the last leg the last leg of a journey is um, you know start to coin this term the, the, the last customs mile You know, so you can build up all this transactional data, and you can hand it off to your broker or forwarder, and there's great value in that. But you can also have the capability to take it the next step. So go ahead and directly file that transaction with customs. Again, whether it be an export or an import, whatever country you're doing business in. So now you're taking that complete digital journey of the transaction, let's say from PO all the way to customs entry, and automating the process and including that, that tough little step, I say little because, honestly, a lot of it is, is not as large as all the other work to build up the transaction, but to be able to take that and hand it off to customers digitally, and then there's just another level of value that's just risen up and created. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, no, I. And, and, you, know, you, you touched upon what was going to be my, my next question. I mean, you, you talked about the last… Customs mile. I mean, you know, you hear a lot about last mile in the retail sector, right? As it relates to you know home delivery and everything else. But you know, I just talked about there is this last mile, you know, component with with regards to customs compliance too. And and you can d- describe it a little bit there. I mean, I, I, can you elaborate a little bit more about that? And you know, what what, what what's involved and. You know, are, are companies doing this today or are they relying on third parties to do this last mile for them? And is, is technology helping them perhaps do this on their own now? How is that working?
1: You know, it's interesting. Uh, I want to say it's 2001 or 2 I'm not sure of the exact year, but U.S. Customs came up with a, a new regulation. It was called remote location filing. So prior to that, you needed to be in the port of where you're bringing goods in to file it. In other words, you could not be on a computer somewhere in San Diego and you're filing in—you uh, know—you're filing in Baltimore, right? It wasn't allowed. But remote location filing said, okay, you don't need to be at the port to file. You can be wherever, right? It's the—you know—the Internet age was here, you know, back then, and and uh, you know, certainly a lot of people thought, Customs thought, U.S. Customs thought that would create this opportunity for not only brokers to become more efficient, to be able to do, you know, centers of excellences within their organizations, to be able to help help their own customers file these things throughout the country, but thought that, you know, companies would say, well, I, I can do this myself. I'm going to go ahead and, and create, uh, you know, going to need technology to do it in some way, shape, or form. The reality was back then what those companies would have had to do was, Take what their customs brokers were doing for them, and essentially take those people and, and, and hire those people effectively, and, and 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 you know maybe they couldn't do it as well as the customs broker who does it for an absolute living, right? And so taking people that are keying in data off commercial invoices, you know they're looking at they're looking at their commercial invoice up on a on a, on a template and typing the data in and doing all that. Bringing that in house was not that appealing, right? And technology today, software companies have evolved as I mentioned earlier, from an automation standpoint where it is now possible that you don't need to have those people to do all that work. In other words, the software can do that work. So, And this is just happening, right? I mean, even within Amber Road, we're we're just, we, we, like I said, we've we spent a l- many, many years building up the transaction and we're just now having the ability to file the transaction to that last customer's mile. So we think it's a game changer. We think this is a game changer for the industry. People have been looking at being com- becoming self-filers for a long time. They haven't really done it. I think the percentage in the U.S. is, is like 5% of companies self file, But we think the capability of the automation, not just having to rekey the data in, and the connection to the custom system is a game changer, and people can now take advantage of that and create a lot of value. They may not want to do it. They may still want to leverage their brokers and forwarders to do the filing, and building up that transaction in an automated way and handing it off is still valuable. Now in Europe, in Europe the uh, it, it's a lot more prevalent. Um, I'm, not, I'm not exactly 100% sure why. I don't know that anybody knows why. But in Europe, the amount of self filers that exist are you know maybe 30 to 40% of companies are self filing today. So um, you know it's interesting. Again, I'm not exactly sure why, but that that is a difference between let's say the U.S. and Europe, and then the rest of the world is is largely you know using brokers and forwarders to file. Um, mm-hmm.
0: Right. Yeah. No, I think, uh, you know, that, that would be an interesting research question to understand why that that uh, is more prevalent uh, in Europe. But but I think I, I agree. You know, I think, um, you know, w- with your point, you know, being that historically, you know, a lot of uh, importers, for example, that, you know, they would look at this and say, you know, it makes no sense for us to bring it in house because it's just, you know, it's just a very, very labor intensive exactly. you know, process. We don't have the internal expertise to do it and and so forth but now, you know, with the technology capabilities are available today and everything we just talked about, you know, it becomes, you know, an option, you know, that might be worthwhile, you know, considering. I want to circle back, kind of changing gears a little bit now, you know, talking about the tariffs and, you know, you know, when I talk to a lot of companies with new tariffs being imposed by, you know, U.S. and China and others, a lot of companies are looking at, you know, how, you know, to best navigate them. And, and, you know, one of the things, it's not necessarily new, but, I mean, I think I'll, many companies perhaps haven't explored it in the past is to take advantage of, you know, duty, you know, deferral you know, re- regimes, whether it's, you know, here in the U.S. foreign trade zones or, you know, customs warehousing in, in Europe. I mean, what's, what's required ultimately to, to implement uh, and manage, you know, duty referral, you know, particularly from a, from a technology standpoint?
1: Yeah, well, um, let me first start by explaining it a little bit for the viewers, so they understand. So, what duty deferral means is uh, governments all around the world create a set of regulations that allow you to bring goods into the country in a temporary zone, if you will, so that you're not, you didn't pay duties on them yet. And you may keep them there for, you know, certain different periods of time, depending on the country and the regulation, and you've deferred that duty and maybe only bring them out of that zone when you're ready to sell them and gain revenue. Right. So, um, you know, the, from a cash flow perspective and, 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 and the sort of time value of money, you know, you can, you can see the advantage there. Um, and there are multiple different, uh, regimes, if you will, regimes meaning regulations. Um, you know, there's, there's just bringing in a good and housing it there and then, and then, you know, just pulling that good out and selling it. There's also manufacturing. So China is well known for this. There's a, there's a famous uh, a regime in China called processing trade, and it's, you know, it's what it sounds like. It, it allows people to bring in raw materials into China, leverage the low-cost labor, um, which isn't as low-cost as it used to be, but it's, it's changing, leverage that low-cost labor, build a product, and then send it back to Europe or the United States, right? But, but you've never actually paid duty on that raw material, right? You, you, you bring it into a zone, you build it, you send it out, you never pay duty. So, so again, there's different types. There's the sort of just bring it in, take it out, and then there's manufacturing, or you're bringing in raw materials, building something. And what's happened is, uh, and, and what you need to do, you need to prove to the government, to customs, that you accounted for everything. So essentially what duty deferral means, it's a virtual accounting system. You just have to have a record that says, here's what I brought in. Here's what I took out. Here's, you know, I paid duties if I brought it into the country. I didn't pay duties if I took it, you know, back out. I got to account for scrap. I got it you know, you got to account for all these things. Like I said, it's a virtual accounting system. And there's all sorts of complex rules around different countries' ways to do it. You know, the U.S. has the foreign trade zone regime, which has got a whole subset of different regulations depending on what you're doing. Uh, you know, Europe has, uh, you know, a customs warehouse, they call it, EU customs warehouse. And each country within there has different rules and things. And so it's very sort of very complex rules. And having a software system is kind of the you know the only real way to go. I mean, certainly if you have any volume. If you got minimal volume, you can probably do it on a spreadsheet. But if you got any kind of volume at all, tracking all these things and then and then the next step is really tying that software that's managing the inputs and the outputs of what's coming in and out. It's like a warehouse, but it's a virtual warehouse. Tying that to the filing, so then being able to take those records and file them right to customs when you're gonna when you're gonna actually do the real import. Now um, you got to file the record when you brought it into the zone too. It's not a real import, but customs wants to know about it. So all of this stuff tied together in one system. There's a great advantage to that. Um, we think anyway, in uh, in doing it the right way, and you don't have disparate systems and different people and different systems doing it. You've got sort of one system that's handling all the capability and. What I think is happening is one of the reasons why this is getting more airtime is because of these tariffs. People are now like, oh, my God, you know, my, st- my stuff's going to 10% or 25% tariff. Now the value of being able to defer those duties, because the numbers got bigger. Now that monetary value just got bigger. So people are starting to look at schemes and ways, legal schemes, <laughs> not a bad way, be able to, be able to take advantage of, uh, of the, you know, I always, I always use the golf analogy, you know, the golf rule book. Is there for, you to, for you to help you, right? If you know the rules, you can take advantage of the rules, and and these rules are there to help you. If you can, if you know the rules and take advantage of them, you can you can you know increase your margins and, and lower your duty burden.
0: Yeah, I think this is another great example of kind of the, the the complexity you know involved in all this. I mean, as you mentioned, you know every you know the the way the U.S. manages this is different than China. It's different than the EU, and then every country in the EU has different you know, rules specific to how they do it. So, you know, being able to, you know, codify, if you will, in, in, in the software, these different, uh, you know, requirements by country and, and by program uh, to, so you're able to be in compliance with it. Uh, I mean, I love the analogy of a kind of an accounting system because that's really, you know, what it is, you know, it's in, in many ways. is really being able to keep track of, of all that. And then ultimately, it, many of these things ultimately turn into an export or an import so being able to tie that data, going back to our point before in terms of the importance of bringing in all these pieces of data, then being able to automate, you know, streamline, automate the, the, the end-to-end process. You know, if you are leveraging these programs, you know, being able to then take, you know, the data, the information that comes out of these duty deferral programs and then uh, uh, feed them into the import or the export process. You know, I can see how that, um, you know, helps to, uh, you know, keeps the, keeps the wheel of global trade management, you know, friction free, if you will. Uh, you know, so, Ty, i running short on time here, so I'm just going to go right to, to my last question. I mean, you know, for, for companies that are looking to, you know, move up the maturity curve with regards to, you know, global trade management capabilities, I mean, what, what attributes or capabilities, you know, should they look for and, and have in place, and, you know, particularly from a, from a technology platform as well? Yeah. Well,
1: I think, you know, in the, uh, uh, coming from the software background, which I come from, uh, I know you come from an engineering background as well, it all starts with requirements, right? You got to understand what your business goals are. What do you want to accomplish? What are you What are you trying to achieve? Now, you can go out and talk to technology vendors and understand what they have so that that can influence your, your uh, you know, goals, if you will. But really, ultimately, you got to get that right. If you do not get the requirements right, you know, you can't, you know, you can't, you can't, uh, you can't, you can't be successful, right? So I would tell anybody, first of all, understand. And, and some of the things that maybe that you, you need to do is, when you get those requirements and you have an idea about what you want, and again, you can explore vendors to see what they might be able to do, and that could change your, change your deal, but um, you got to build an ROI, right? So there's a lot of things that you need to do from a compliance standpoint, sure, but nobody's going go, you know, to go up to the budget committee and ask for a whole bunch of money unless they can prove that it will provide a return. And there is tremendous amount of ability to get return here, right? This isn't again, this isn't just to solve a compliance problem. This is this is actual uh, value in um, you know margin creation, cost reduction, agility, risk, all that rolled into one. But you got to define it. So I would I would recommend anybody figure out what your requirements are, define your ROI, and then and then then you can say now you know I need budget to go do something. And you know some of the things to just I think be wary of or watch out for in 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 this area is you know, you don't necessarily want to go out and do phase one and have a vendor that solves phase one, and then you go for phase two, and now you got it. Now that vendor doesn't have phase two, and you got to go get a second vendor, and then you want to do phase three. And now you got to get a third vendor, right? So I think one thing you should do is look at your holistic view. So not just what you want to do in the next year or so, but look out and say, what's my five-year roadmap? Where do I want to be, and what's possible? And then the second thing I'd say that people should watch out for some of the gotchas is, you know within this area, within this global supply chain execution space and trade compliance and importing and exporting and supply chain visibility, you know, there's a lot of content. There's these rules and regulations, as we've referenced here. So look to see if your vendor, you know, are you gonna again, are you going to have to go to multiple vendors to solve the problem? Or are you are going to be able to go to a one-stop shop? Also, some vendors, they have a software vendor, but they don't do the implementation. So then you'll have to go to a third party to do implementation, right? So you got to just just evaluate that and make sure that you understand that if you want to have one vendor that provides things like the software, the content, the hosting, the implementation. If you don't, I mean, if you want to have multiple vendors to do that, that's fine. But just, just be aware of that as you're going through an evaluation process this is what I would what I would recommend for folks.
0: Yeah, no, great great advice. I mean, starting with, you know, defining your objectives or your goals and, and where you want to get to. I think that's always the the, the smartest and, and the, you know, that, that ultimately is going to dictate whether you're going to be moving down a path to success or one that's going to be fraught with all sorts of, you know, you know, challenges and defining the ROI. I think in this global trade space, you know, a lot of times, you know, folks might think of it as just like a risk avoidance, you know, compliance, you know, avoiding, you know, compliance penalties and things like that. But when you really look at the broader picture it's so much more than that. And we just talked about even just labor savings, you know, you might be throwing an army of people just to, you know, and then, you know, when you do have a lot of people typing in stuff that introduces data, Inaccuracies that then can hold up shipments and creates more, you know, uh, creates some stockouts. You know, and, and the list goes on, right? So I think you know, looking at that broader ROI picture, I think is is important. And, and finally, you know, thinking not just of the near term but also the long term requirements and where you want to head to, I think is uh, you know important as well. Well, Ty, you know, we like particularly in this topic with global trade, we we could probably spend hours talking about everything that's going on here. But I think we hit some of the highlights. You provided some great uh, food for thought and advice for our listeners. So. Again, thank you for making the time to be with us today. Hey,
1: thanks a lot, Adrian. It's always nice to, it's always nice to chat. I appreciate it.
0: Great. I want to thank those of you that joined us. Uh, if you're watching this episode on demand, either at the Amber Road uh, website or on Talking Logistics, and you've got a question or a comment for uh, Ty, you can post it there. I'm sure he'll be more than happy to respond via that medium. Again, thank you for joining us. and look forward to seeing you in a future episode of Talking Logistics. Have a great day.